Hello everyone, I'm David Andrew Miliotis and welcome to Satsanga, Ashtanga Yoga, Orange County's podcast, exploring the vast body of practices and philosophies emerging from the Indian culture of seeking. In today's episode, we cover three topics as well as our usual chanting. Firstly, we discuss the precision melodies of Vedic chanting. Secondly, we delve into the Ashtanga Yoga opening prayer in a surprisingly relevant way. Lastly, by request, I tell the yogic allegory entitled The Turning of the Ocean of Milk. And we look at its relationship to practice, our psychology, and at the conclusion, we reveal its relationship to the Ashtanga Yoga opening prayer. If you would like to follow along with the chanting and lessons in these episodes, you can purchase our textbook, Sanskrit and Chanting, through our website, ashtangayogaorangecounty.com forward slash books, or you can always just listen. Either way, please enjoy. If you're going to follow the chanting from our books, it's much easier to use Volume 3, which is simply a pure collection of mantras without any extras. However, you can also use Volume 1, but you will have to turn the pages many, many, many more times. With that said, the opening mantras are found in Sanskrit and Chanting Volume 3, page 1 and 2, or Sanskrit Chanting Volume 1, pages 2 through 10. Om Tat Satyam Vadishyami 
तन्मावतु तद्वक्तारमावतु आवतुमां आवतुवक्तारम् ओम शांति 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 ओम सहना बबतु सहना बुनतु सहवीर्यं धर्मावहरे ब्रह्मविद्यासंप्रदायकर्त्रिव्यो शर्षिप्यो नमो मर्त्यो नमो गुरुप्या सार्वो भक्तवारित प्रत्यान घन प्रतिगर्तो ब्रह्मायवहमस्मी ओम तत्सदे Please turn the page to page three. We will recite the next three mantras together. And the remaining mantras call and response. Vakratunda Mahakaya Koti Surya Samaprabha Arignam Guru Medeva Sarvakaryeshu Sarvada Om Sahana Bhavatu Sahana Bhunaktu Sahaviryam Karabhavahare Ejasinavadikamastumavidvishavahare Jeshtarajam Brahmanam 
side, the second to the last mantra, Shanno Mitra B version. We will do the first half together, the second half call and response. Inhale. Ah. Uh-huh. 
Second version uh, on the recordings I call A and B. Shandong A, Shandong B. First one, the second. Future steps, past tense. The second half then changes. So I want to look at the uh, what we call the swara marks. So some chanting is not Vedic and some chanting is Vedic. And like one day Guru Nam, so many different melodies people are. Reciting one day Guru Nanak. Yoga Sutras also can recite in any melody. So these are non Vedic chants. There's no specific melody to recite them. Okay, on page 39, in volume 1, page 39. So if it's Vedic chanting, then there's a melody. Sahana Bhavatu. Sahana Bunatu, more or less everybody's chanting this with the same melody because it's Vedic. So at the bottom on page 39, you can see number six, the rule number six is pitch. Right, so this specifically applies with Vedic chanting. This bottom section, if there's a, a line, if you look, you'll see the, the first line, Swarita, is middle tone, right? And there's no mark on the A. Actually, when it's a mark under, it's a lower tone. Exactly, right? So, Anudata is lower tone, it has that horizontal line underneath it. And then, Udata is the raised tone, has a single line, vertical line above it. And Nigata, the double tone. I'm doing well with lower tone, so you can definitely. <laughs> so, whatever your middle tone is. Okay. Yeah, so we can set the, the Shruti to any pitch. So you can harmonize it whatever level fits with the group, and then you, you're doing the same. It's a half tone, half step up, and a full step down, generally. Yeah, you listen, that's the best way. Yeah, but when you see it, and you hear it, then it becomes more articulate. It's more articulate, yeah. Uh, in, the, in the double one, where you see the double vertical lines over it, when you first hit the syllable, the vowel sound, or the consonant wherever the, the swara mark is, the double swara mark, you stay at the same middle tone, but you hold it for an extra beat, and on the second beat is when you go up. So it's a bhaktaram, so bhaktaram, when you first land on it, you're still on middle tone, bhaktaram, and on the second beat, so it gets held for an extra beat to go up. I'll try my best. Yes, you're doing you're doing fantastic. So if you turn back to that one we just did, the past tense one on page four, Shanno Mitra past tense page four. So then you can just see how how the melody fits together with the swara marks. Bravo, bravo. 
can't. The whole month of them together. The second one, not the first one. So that remember, for those of you who have, think you haven't memorized, remember the second half is a little bit different. Oh. Atma Jnana Pradhanena 
last week. So we're just going to recite these and then we're going to do something else. Uh, page 42. Salati 42. 42. 42. 42. Yes, yes. The one with the Shiva family on the cover. So remember the when we did the first class we went over dental and retroflex. So dental means well, there's no dots underneath the letters and then it's dental. So atta. Atta, you put your tongue to your teeth. Atta, atta. If you don't see a dot underneath, put your tongue to the teeth. So you say, come to the teeth. And put your tongue to your teeth. Everybody say, come to your teeth. So everybody can see the tip of your tongue. One more time. Come to your teeth. You don't need to be shy. Everybody has the tip of their tongue, so it's okay. Just the body part. Let it, let it stick out. Let it hang out a little. Okay. Tongue to your teeth. Or, uh, the one I like is butter toast. So retroflex, if you see a dot underneath, then you curl your tongue back into the roof of your mouth. Butter, butter, butter toast. Butter, 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 butter toast. Butter. So it gives a muffled quality to the sound. What do we do that? Uh, whenever you see a dot on the under, under the consonants. Uh -huh. uh, except for the H, yoga, yeah. that's different. And, and then also we practice aspiration, right? So we hold the breath a little bit, unless you see an H. So you put your hand in front of your mouth and you try to talk, try to say Papa, Papa, with very little air. Papa, 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 Papa. And then if there was an H, if it was P-H-A, P-H-A, then you would say ha, 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 from your lower belly, ha, ha. Make a little puff of air. Okay, so when we recite these four, I want you to, we're going to go through slowly. When we do the first red line, in between each word where there's a space or a hyphen, allow a half a beat pause or quarter beat pause. A little, at that time when there's a pause, if you let a little air come in your body, then automatically there's a pause. Otherwise, the tendency is the body wants to blend them together, the sounds together. Okay, so red line followed by black one, 
the second line, the black line, all the words are joined together. So you say it in one continuous utterance. First line, you say word by word, and put some space in between each word. So this will really emphasize the clarity of your ability to memorize and recite it. Listen, repeat. So you got where the aspirations are and where you're holding your breath, by where you see H's and no H's. One more time. And put the tongue to your teeth. There's no retroflex in here, so everything's dental. And uh, some some of them are aspirate and some of them are not aspirate. Again. So we'll do together the four sutras, line by line, word by word. Ready? Atta yoga anushasanam. Atta yoga nushasanam yoga chitta vritti nirodaha yoga chitta vritti nirodaha tada tada drashtuhu drashtuhu swa Rupe, swa, rupe, avasthanam, avasthanam, tadadrashti, swa, rupe, vasthanam, tadadrashti, swa, rupe, vasthanam, vritti, Vritti Sarupyam Sarupyam Itaratra Itaratra Vritti Sarupyam Itaratra Vritti Sarupyam Itaratra all together, all the way through this time? Yeah. With both the lines? Yes, both lines. Atta yoga anushasanam. Yo. Sorry. Atta yoga anushasanam. Yoga chitta vritti niroda. Aspiration on the duck. Nirodaha, Nirodaha, Yoga Chitta Vritti Nirodaha, Tada Rudrashtuhu, Swarupe Avasthanam, Tada Rudrashtuhu, Swarupe Vritti Sarupyam Itaratra Sarupyam 
So you have to say, you have to add the mi, mi taratra. Sarupya, yeah, you don't say sarupya mi, you say sarupya mi taratra. So that means you break yeah. it where it ends. Correct. Correct, before the Because end. you cannot break it where the bubble is. Otherwise it's mi taratra instead of mi taratra. We want to say mi taratra. One of the little bit tricky things when you join words together for chanting, when you do it, a, a line of vocabulary words in a continuous utterance, continuous recitation, chanting, you join all the words together, then you need to learn how to look at it in terms of a string of syllables rather than where the vocabulary separates. So that you get the, the flow between the two words to flow correctly, to have the right rhythm and the right diction. That's a lovely key. There is a, a lesson in volume one, if anybody's interested, uh, that you can, you can look at it. There's some examples, and it's on page 31. So we won't go over it now, but I'm just telling you. So it's, uh, in Sanskrit terms, is lagu and uh, guru and lagu. So a syllable is either guru, it's heavy, or lagu, it's light. Um, so when you, you learn how to look at the syllables, what indicates that, David? I mean, how do we know when you say Sanskrit word that it's heavy or light? It's in here. It's in here. So we'll go over it a different day. Uh, it's more help. If I had a whiteboard, we can go over it. It'd be much more clear. If I just explain it verbally without seeing the words, it's going to be very difficult. Yeah. So bring it easily with writing. Yeah, someday we'll, we'll have that. Uh, but you can look at it. So I want us to use volume one right now. It's good to know what the mantras mean. So volume one is for studying the mantras. To learn like the basic repertoire of, of chanting, uh, Shanti mantras. It doesn't have any of the long devotional chants that are in volume three. It's just a collection of Shanti mantras and opening chants and the pranayama chants and the mantras. It's a, 
just a little repertoire. And there's an opportunity in here uh, to do a little work to look up the words and uh, not just look at the tra English translation, but and to actually look at, to get a better idea of how the English translation was built from the skeletal of the, the words. Because it's poetry, it's not sentence structure like talking, it's poetry. So, That's whenever it's difficult to translate, it's very, exactly, very difficult to translate poetry, even if it's an English poem, right. into, into, some, <laughs> into yeah. some, some sensible English yeah, understanding. And then, whenever you do, you, you, you limit actually the, the fullness of the poem, it becomes limited once you box it into sentence structure. So it's good to know the words so that you can just let the, the mind kind of jump off the diving board and explore more of the space that we'll start on page two, which is one day Gurunam, the opening mantra, volume one, page two. Brilliantly, our opening mantra is what we call Sankalpa. That's the Sanskrit word for intention, a statement of intention and statement of action, but before we initiate our ritual, the ritual of practice, we have to say, just chant and we can go over bowing to the lotus feet of the gurus, and Bhagavan, Bhagavan, some jungle shaman or something is there, oh yeah, Shantye, hala hala. We should understand, kind of just in general, what the gist of the mantra means. Because if we understand like a kid's version, then you can kind of grab hold of the whole meaning and and see the whole picture easily. If you just right away start looking into the literal meaning and the metaphorical meaning, you start you know getting lost trying to see the forest through all the trees. It's always good to get a child's version before you jump into the the college version. So the gist is that from the last line, it's saying. We don't want any suffering. We're tired of suffering. We don't want suffering. We're ready to, to try to figure out how to overcome the things that are causing us grief and anguish in life. And we want Shanti. That's what the last line says. We don't want the samsara, hala, hala, moha. We want Shanti. So, and that's why I'm here. Pretty selfish. The first line is saying basically like, when you bow to the lotus feet of the guru, the feet metaphorically represent the practical. They're not up in the clouds. Right now, right now, my words are represented by the head being in the clouds. It's theory. It's we're not practicing. We're not actually getting the benefit. We only really get the benefit, you know, from the theory of the diet. You only get the benefit when you actually apply the diet, actually follow it. You only get the benefit of the theory of the practice when you get on your mat and you start breathing and doing some sort of namaskar. Then you get the benefit of the practice. So the feet are on the ground and we're standing on our mat. Our feet are on the ground. We're about to take the practical teachings and put it into practice. That's the bowing. And the bowing, so because I don't want any suffering, I want to try to figure out how to overcome suffering or come to the teacher some yoga practice and that's why I'm here. I want to, I'm going to do the practice and do the best I can to apply my mind, to surrender my mind to the practice and set aside any kind of discursive thoughts and just surrender my mind to thinking only about the practice while I'm practicing because 
told you about my health and overcome some problems, and that's why I'm here. So that's the gist. That's the gist. May I ask what gist means? Oh, like a simple meaning, a direct meaning. Oh, that's what through all the through all the flowery elaborations and what so it's the core. Yeah, it's the core. The root. Yeah. I didn't know the word. G-I-S-D. Yeah. Because in your glossary, uh -huh. Monday is like self-interested knowing. Yes, so. Is, is that like a facilitating nominal? As opposed to what's what? Uh, like, like a namaste kind of. So namaste could be anything. It's just saying I, it's like when you say hello, there's a, actually, there is, whether you realize it or not, there is a gesture of like, Offering respect, you know, you're recognizing they're, they're there. That's giving them respect. So that's really what's happening here when you say namaste. Nama means vow. Te means to you. But so here we have, like, in the second verse we say pranamami. In the first verse we say one day. Pranamami is parasmai pada. It's for the other. Paras, parasmai pada. It's for the other. So when you go home to uh, spend time with your mother or your parents or anybody you go to visit them because it's uplifting for them that's you're doing it for the other person when you go to the doctor you're going because you're sick and you need something so even though you're respectful polite, and you might actually genuinely respect the person because he's nice and he's knowledgeable and he's able to help you um, but you know let's be real you're there only because you're sick and you need something. So this is Bande, Atmane Pada. It's for your own self. A very, you know, it's interesting how Sanskrit was structured and how that they have this, there's a dualism in the language. They actually have a singular, dual, and plural in their cases. Because a dualistic thinking process is just a natural ingrained thing that the cognitive mind so it's me and everything else. So dualism is a very real principle at work in the mind. So therefore it's in the language. It's in the language in terms of numbers, single, dual, and plural, and it's in the language in the way that they use the verbs. Doing it for the others, selfless, selflessly, altruistically, or you're doing it for yourself. So let's go through word by word. You guys see if you go down, you're using volume one. So you have on the right side the column is all the words. And uh, I can show you how to look the words up in the glossary. I was a little bit sneaky structuring the glossary. Yeah? How so? Tell me, Crystal. Well, you have to learn a new alphabetical order. Yeah, you have to learn a new alphabetical order. You have to learn the Sanskrit, the structure of the sound from Sanskrit. Yeah. And there's a list of abbreviations on the last page. One day, we just went over one day, so it, it means I bow, and it's I'm bowing for my, because I need something for myself, Atmanetra. Uh, guru Nam is plural, Gurus, possesses of the, the Gurus. And in Indian culture, plural is used as respect. For an elder or somebody you're being respectful to, you always use the so it doesn't necessarily mean the myriad of gurus. Charana 
means a pair of feet. Okay, so Aravinda, Aravinda, the, the last word of the first line, is a lotus, a certain type of lotus. So Chardana Aravinda is a pair of lotus feet. So the feet are the practical, they're on the ground. They're lotus feet though, they're not just ordinary feet. That means they're, they have some special offering, some special practical offering, such as yoga practice, which is different than just exercising at the gym, watching TV and listening to your headphones. Sandarshita Swatma Sukha Avabodhe. So Sandarshita means that um, you're having a vision. When you go to the Guru and you get Darshan, you've heard of that? So Darshan, that literally means like when you go home, see your parents, or you go any place to see anybody, you go to see them, right? And it's the seeing them. When you're in the presence of them, you see them. And while you see them, that impression and that energy, the transference is there. A lot of it's coming from your own idea of what it means to you, right? That's invoking that energy of what you feel it means to you is being invoked from you. And maybe, maybe not, there's something emanating from the other person affecting you also. But absolutely, you're true. Yeah. When we bow, right, when, when we surrender our mind, there's an immediate shift in our perception. When we surrender our mind to, and apply it to what we're going to do, right? We're renouncing the discursive, the nonsensical thinking that tries to come up. And so in that process of surrendering, there's a shift internally. As soon as the mind finds the sentiment of surrender, focusing on what it's going to do, what it's doing, there's a shift. You come in, you're a little scattered, you start doing the chant, and you start focusing on the chant, and your sense of self starts changing, right? Your sense of how you feel, who you are, all this starts to change. Sandarshita, so you're getting a new, a darshan, a different darshan that's coming. The darshan from being scattered, wherever you just came from, to the darshan of being present. So you're getting in touch with spirit, you could say. Swatma, ah, the mantra will tell us. We're getting in touch, we're getting the darshan of the swatma, our own self, our own true nature, uh, not the confused nature that's running around thinking about all the hopes and aspirations, and all the fears and anxieties, etc., etc. But as soon as we become present, those other things, past and future, hopes and fears and all these things, how can they be occupying your mind if you're paying attention to the present? If you absorb your mind in the present, what you're doing, the breathing, the standing, the chanting, the moving the arms up with the inhale, all these things, much less room, space in your mind for discursive thoughts. Sukha means pleasant, means that it functions smoothly. Like you have a very good ride, literally, that expression is coming from a wheel. If the wheel is good, in the old days, it wasn't so common to have good roads and good wheels as it is today. Now a lot of roads are, are nice and smooth and we have rubber tires. But in the old days, sukha, that was a big deal. If, you, if your wheel functioned smoothly, it's a much more pleasant ride than if it was bumpy. 
Uh, Su means good, and Ka means axle. Ka means axle, the pivot. So that means your, your system is functioning smoothly. When there's stress and there's worry, there's anxiety, too much hoping and fearing, then the tension that your mind is experiencing is restricting the smooth flow in your system and your body physiologically. But if science is proving this again and again and again. It's the homeostasis process for the body to correct itself and bring itself back to balance is dramatically hindered by negative thinking. Avabodha, avabodha, you reside in an awakened state. Sandarshita Swatma Sukha Avabodha. So we're getting this darshan of ourself, this darshan of the system functioning in a smooth and healthy way, this darshan of residing in an awakened state rather than ignorant state, ignoring the present, being awakened to the present, being touched by spirit. And these are some of the, the ways we experience being touched by spirit. And how else do we feel when we get touched, uh, when we become present, especially when we become present to the practice which generates that positive feedback, healthy positive feedback circuit. You're paying attention to your own physiology and operating your own physiology in a more harmonious way with the way the physiology is meant to function or can function, then it feeds on itself. It creates more positive vibes because you're working with the, the system, it becomes more harmonious, and then it becomes easier to work with the system more harmoniously, which makes it function more harmoniously. So it's a positive feedback cycling over and over, generating more and more and more positive energy, which also translates into more healing capacity, stronger homeostasis process. Uh, and this is the best, safest place to be, Nishreyase. It's the refuge. It's the safest place to be, the highest refuge. If there's problems that you're experiencing, well, the best place to be then is to be present. Come reconnect with yourself until the mind gets back under control. Jangali Kaya Mana. Kaya is body. Mana is measure. So one who measures the body is a doctor, like Dr. Murthy here, sitting to my right. He's a body measurer. He looks at things and he's analyzing, making measurements, so to speak. But this is not an allopathic doctor. This is a jungle doctor, jungle kayamana. So usually when we think of the jungle doctor, we don't think of the, like a Western type doctor. We think of somebody with special powers, somebody who can heal you from deeper, more psychological or spiritual ailments or get at the deeper into the root of where these problems are coming from. It's the shaman, jangali kayamana, the jungle position. So yoga has this uh, promise that it's not, not making the promise that it can heal all physical ailments. It can heal some, it can heal all of them all the time, depends on many, many, many factors. But it's making a promise that it can heal you on a spiritual level, heal you emotionally and psychologically. And then we get to the last line, which is the, reason, the whole reason why we're here in the first place, right? Samsara hala. Uh, did I cover those words one by one? 
Clearly enough? Okay. Stop me again if you need to. So samsara is cyclic existence. In uh, olden terms, yogic terms, they're specifically referring to birth and re death and birth, death and birth, death and birth. But it's also, you know, every day is, you know, you get up and you cycle through another day. <laughs> and then you go to bed exhausted and you wake up tired and wake up and you spend some time waking up again, only to go through another cycle. Uh, and, it, and it's generating money so you can pay bills. And every day the cycle repeating and repeating. You know, some days are more joyous than other days. Some days are filled with more anguish than other days. Some days are filled with ups and downs. So many ups and downs all in one day that you become dizzy. Uh, you lose your orientation very easily. So this is samsara. And it's this loss of your orientation from this getting caught up in the things that are required of you just to exist physically. We have to exist physically. We can't ignore our physicality and expect to exist in a healthy and vibrant way. We have to take care of our physicality. Uh, but then in, in doing so, we get kind of brainwashed. We forget, we get caught up, all that. So this getting caught up in it is the moha, the ignorance or the delusion. We forget right, that there is a higher level that wants to come into the experience with us to, to help carry us through more gracefully. And that's these other things we just talked about, that the benefits we're getting from the yoga practice. We want to try to carry those beautiful, wonderful, uh, uplifting qualities that we get from experiencing yoga, surrendering to yoga, surrendering to being present, instead of the crazy mind, the, the false mind. We want to carry those with us through the samsara so we don't get the toxicity that is born from the ignorance. So moha is the ignorance that you get lost, you forget who you are. And once you get lost, then anything can happen. Your mind can go down any avenue that it's inclined to go down. So all your compulsive habitual tendencies are free. They're, they're just set loose. Once you forget who you, you are, you're, you're just getting carried away by, by it, then all our compulsiveness behaviors, they're just set free and they're in control. So this is, becomes toxic. This is hala hala means uh, poison, toxicity. Uh, and that comes, that's born from the ignorance. We don't want that. We want shanti. 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 And like you were saying, once we learn how to heal ourselves, once we've gone through the process and we become established in more uplifting way of managing our well-being, then we become capable of helping other people learn how to manage their own well-being. We become capable of helping to uplift others. Yeah, please. In the Sanskrit language, huh. is there any indication that helps you decipher the meaning of the words if they are if they carry a negative uh, uh, color to them or a positive? 
from the context yes most importantly from the context so from the surrounding world and yeah and, and then just from becoming more familiar with the vocabulary in general yes what do do they have correlatives in greek that you're aware of that you, do they have do they have, is there a word in Greek that sounds similar to Moha no. or Hala, Hala? But they both sound very welcoming words. Mm. Especially Hala. Oh. Sounds like Hala, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> so that's a, the opening mantra. Can I ask a yeah. couple of questions? Please. Uh, some of the nouns here, like uh, Aramente or Arapote, Mishrasi, you said they're um, locatives. <laughs> oh, okay. I wondered if you could give us like, a quick Latin lesson. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because, like, dative versus locative, um, I thought it was interesting that they were locatives. Yeah. So, is it alright if I keep referring to where the information is yeah, sure. in, in the books? Yeah, so, not not that I I want to tell you also, but then you have a reference so you can go back to it later because yeah. we don't get things the first time usually, right? So, if if you know where to look it up again later. So in this in volume two there's a little bit of drama. There's a lot of volume two has a lot of heavy duty stuff in it. So this is a, the heaviest one. The content is heavy, the book is heavy. It's on page sixty-nine, the beginning of the grammar in volume two. And it explains the different cases. So locative means location. They don't have in, on, at under, over, during, the, the prepositions, they don't have prepositions in Sanskrit. So the, the endings of the words change, the word structure changes. And according to the way that the end of the word has been changed, tells you its position and role in the sentence structure, hence locative. So locative means location, which can mean time also, during such and such. So while I'm bowing, that's a locative. While I'm bowing, these things are occurring. And they're actually, because the first word, the first line, uh, that last word, which is the main, sets up the main uh, structure for the poem, is ends in locative. Charanara vinde. So while I'm bowing, or where I'm bowing, I'm bowing to the Lord's feet. So it's locative. All these other things are also locative. But so the first one, Chardonnay Vinde, is the location where I'm bowing. The next ones are descriptions. And so they're using the same case ending, locative, to indicate that they're describing that first word that was locative. Because Nishreya say is not really where we're bowing. We're not bowing at the refuge. The refuge is a quality that occurs when you bow at the lotus feet. And the swat, Sundarshita Swatna Sukhava Bodhe is a quality you experience when you bow at the lotus feet, when you surrender your mind at the lotus feet. And then also the Jongali Kayamani. It's a healing. It's very healing. When your mind gives up, it's nonsense. 
and applies itself in a constructive way. It's very healing on a very deep level. So it's the actual act of bowing to the practice that is generating these things. It's not the guru. The guru taught you what to do. You're the one doing it. You're the one causing the transformation. But I wondered too if we have time. If you can we have a few minutes, yeah. Give us the story of the venom. Because it's not just poison, but it's like a manifestation. Correct, yeah. At the yeah. But I don't remember that story. So it's part of a big, larger myth, a larger yogic allegory. When you first start yoga practice, it's a big honeymoon, right? And then after some time passes, it becomes kind of drudgery. You start getting aches and pains. Things, things, latent places in your body start waking up. Latent issues in your body start waking up right, in an effort to transform. It's not always pleasant. Uh, so in this allegory, it's the churning of the ocean of milk. That's the name of the story. Uh, the ocean of milk is the cosmos or the the system, the human your human system. And we're churning it between ha and ta, between the sun and the moon forces. Or between the angelic and the demonic. We're churning. Right? We're, we're using some of our attachments to drive us to, to have some ambition on the road. We're using some of our pride trying to direct our pride, being a little bit maybe competitive with ourselves or others. And that's in the beginning, it's, it's driving us to develop our practice, which is going to become a huge asset 10, 20, 30 years down the road, 40, 50 years down the road that we, uh, we applied ourselves and we grew our practice. Because we're not pure in the beginning, right? We have all kinds of false motives, wrong motives. So we have the demonic and the angelic forces. So the story is the the demons had the power of um, resurrecting the dead. They had uh, a priest in their army that had the power to resurrect the dead. And they were always attacking and fighting the gods, trying to take over heaven. And this is what's going on in our head, right? The demons, the compulsive, negative compulsive behaviors, always, you know, trying to talk you into doing things that another part of you knows is not wise. And so we have this push and pull between the demons and the angels going on. So the demons are trying to take over heaven, and they're battling, and it's very difficult to beat an army that has power of resurrection because you slaughter a whole bunch of them and then they go home at night and they resurrect them all and they come back again all fresh and alive again the next day so the angels the the devas and the asuras the asuras are the demons devas are the angels or the the divine the the light beings and they go to Vishnu and ask for advice. And Vishnu says, well, what you need to do is you need to turn the ocean of milk and generate Amrita, the nectar of immortality. And then you'll be able to defeat the demons who have the power of resurrection. You need the nectar of immortality.
mentality so that they can they quit killing you. But in order to churn the ocean of milk, you're going to have to enlist the cooperation of the demons. But don't worry, I'll make sure that they they agree. So that's Vishnu's advice. So they go and they say, you know, look, we're going to make Amrita and uh, we'll share it with you afterwards. And the demons are like, yeah. And we'll rip them off. We'll take the whole thing to ourselves and we won't let them have any of it. Then we'll go really powerful. So they're all into it. So th this is the, the context of the story. So in the beginning, you start your yoga and you're doing these exercises. You're kind of working your system between positive and negative energies of your system. And it feels really good. So all, in the story, all these good things start to come out of the ocean. Lakshmi comes out from the foam. The, the gift-giving cow, cow that grants your wishes comes. Uh, all kinds of things come out. And then after a bunch of good things come out, this poison starts to come out. So that's like after you pass the honeymoon period. And it becomes a discipline that you have to remain committed to to get through this difficult, these difficult periods that occur and possibly, most likely, for sure, absolutely, they're going to reoccur, right? Uh, if you keep practicing long enough, you're going to have many difficult periods. So this poison comes out, hala hala. Uh, the only one who can deal with the hala hala is Shiva. Shiva gathers up the poison. Shiva is the god of transformation. So normally, right, when we come to yoga, we're, we're full of grasping and rejecting, grasping and rejecting. We grasp the things that we like, things that create pleasant sensations in our system. We grasp them. We want to have them, and we don't want them, them to go away. When they go away, we grasp them more. When they come to us, we're temporarily satisfied. They don't last long. They go away because everything is coming and going, coming and going. So we have this grasping and rejecting tendency. But Shiva is the principle of transformation. So he, when he gathers the poison which we are rejecting, right, it's causing, causing a, a revulsion in us. It's causing anguish and revulsion. We're pushing it away, trying to avoid the experience and the situation. Shiva gathers it up and he holds it in his throat, which represents that he neither he neither accepts it nor rejects it. It's in his throat. He's not taking it in all the way and he's not spitting it out. He's holding it in his throat. At the Vishuddhi chakra, the chakra that purifies. So from this ability to neither reject nor accept or grasp you find a place of acceptance and it and you and it causes a transformation. Your relationship with it transforms, it's no longer toxic. Halaho. And so there's actually there's also a there's a poetic relationship with the Halahala and the previous line Jongli Kayamana, the jungle doctor, or as Guruji would say, the snake doctor. The, Jungle doctor is the one who knows how to deal with snake venom. And the hala hala actually, the poison, is actually coming from the snake that they're using to churn the ocean.
devas in the service of turning are using Vasuki or Ananta Adishesha, which is Tandali is an incarnation of this. So it's all very interwoven, all these things. It's very very tied together. Metaphorical allegory. So the poison that we're experiencing from our ignorance and some caused by some getting caught up in samsara is a snake poison and you need a snake doctor to cure you of it. I was just thinking that maybe the poison doesn't because I'm not too sure they're like at the beginning. Yeah. Um, well, so you have to remember that where is the poison born, born from? It's, it, the poison only comes from your delusion. Yeah, so the poison is it's your toxic way of relating to things. So, yes, it is bad. <laughs> <laughs> but, but then once these things that are happening that are uncomfortable, you quit rejecting them. And you quit grasping, like when the bad things come, you're grasping more for the pleasant things and you're rejecting the unpleasant things. Like everything that you experience, it either creates a pleasant or an unpleasant sensation in your system. And because of that, the psychology naturally generates preferences. And your preferences also paint the way you relate to things and that it's also creates a feedback. The anatomy of the psychology. So, on um, in volume three, page five, Mangala Mantras, volume one, Mangala Mantras begin on page twenty-five. Thank you. Everybody, okay? Satisfied? Yes, we are. Okay. Oh.
Thank you all very much for tuning into Ashtanga Yoga Orange County Satsanga Seeking Truth. Please be sure to subscribe so you can be the first to know of each new episode. I'm looking forward to next time, and until then, be well and keep seeking. Om Tat Sat Brahmar Panamastu.